Thanks for tuning in to Small Big Wings, a window to the world of young, ambitious problem solvers. They are makers, designers, builders, hackers, scientists who heard their inner voice and amplified it. To learn more about our guest and to view the highlights of this episode, head on over to fbw.hvj.coach. My guest on the podcast today is Zach Lata, 22. Zach is the founder of Hack Club, a non-profit network of coding clubs, which is present in 2% of US high schools. After his freshman year, Zach dropped out of high school. He was awarded the Thiel Fellowship when he was 17, and at 18, he was included in the Forbes 30 under 30 list. Clearly, he's a role model and inspiration to many. Without any further delay, let's get talking to Zach. Hi, Zach. Welcome. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to have you here. You said you are quarantined somewhere in the northern part of United States now? Yeah. Uh, some of my team and I, were all quarantined up in northern Vermont. Um, so we got some space out here. We, we first came out about a month ago. Um, so, I mean, nobody likes quarantining, but I, I think we have it pretty close to as good as it can get. Fantastic. So, Zach, the first question which I want to ask you today is, you know, I have heard you say somewhere that you discovered self-expression through coding. Mm, yeah. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, so maybe I can start with a high-level overview of Hack Club. So Hack Club is a nonprofit network of student-led high school hacker clubs. And when I say hacker, I don't mean breaking into bank accounts. I mean students who are unconventional problem solvers. People that are going to start the next company, start the next nonprofits, but most importantly, lead our world um, in, in what will hopefully be a better future for all of us. I think we need more problem solvers in the world. So for me, my story began uh, when I was seven years old. I, I first started learning to code um, after all of my friends and I, when I was in the third grade, were obsessed with this game called Club Penguin, and we decided to build a website together. Now, my parents in Los Angeles were social workers. My dad works in homelessness, my mom in foster care. Uh, I didn't have a lot of technology in the house growing up, and I went to public schools at like 90% of schools at the time in America didn't offer any coding classes. So this experience of realizing that just through going on google.com and searching how do you build a website, I could learn how to code, it suddenly felt like all of these ideas in my head could become reality. And, and I think one thing that happened for me when I was first learning to code was at some point there was a switch that went off in my head where I suddenly stopped thinking of myself as being a consumer of technology and started thinking of myself as being a creator of technology. And I think one of the amazing things that happens when you learn to code is you very quickly realize that computers are built by people just like you and I. And if you ask why until you can't ask why anymore, why, why is this thing working this way? Why is it set up this way? Why am I running into this problem with my code in the way that I am? You can eventually start to figure out how it works. And I think when you realize you can do that with code, you realize you can do that with the world around you. Where if you ask why and who can't ask why anymore, you can begin to understand how the world around you works. And if you begin to understand how it works, you can start to see opportunities to change it and make it a better place. So for me, going to public schools growing up in LA County, I think I, like many teenagers in, in America and, and worldwide, felt very trapped. Oh my God, I have to go to college. Oh my God, my, the next 20 years of my life has been set out for me. And coding was this incredibly freeing thing 
because it felt like this computer, this magical device in front of me was like a canvas. And all these ideas could suddenly become reality if only I spent the hours writing the code to make it happen. So for me, that was an incredibly, incredibly empowering experience. And it's part of why I think coding is probably the closest thing we have today to a superpower. When did you Google out how to build a website? When did the switch change from consumer to creator? So I first started teaching myself when I was seven years old. Okay. Um, that was when I was in the third grade. But for me, and I think every coder can, can say this too, I mean, you, you never really stop learning. I, I mean, I, I think I was still figuring out the basics for six to seven years after that. And it wasn't really until I was 14 or 15 or 16 that I really started to feel comfortable and confident of my ability to make things using code. And I, I think really so many people see coding as this incredibly challenging thing to build and that you have to be a genius to be, to be someone to learn it. And I, I really don't think that's the case at all. Uh, I think the magic of coding is that all the resources to learn are all available online. And the best way to teach yourself is just to come up with project ideas. Like what if you built a personal website for yourself? And then if you Google, how do you do that? You can find tutorials to do almost anything. And honestly, it's just a matter of putting in the hours. So between the age of seven and 15, you yeah. were, let us say, building yourself up. Did you face any kind of challenges from school, teachers, parents in this period? Oh, I mean, I, I, I think absolutely. Um, I mean, one, when, when teaching myself how to code, and by the way, I, I still think I'm, I'm building myself up right now. I don't, I don't think that ever start, that, that process ever stops. Um, but when you're learning to code, there's just so many hurdles you have to get over. The first thing I think you have to get comfortable with is the idea of failure. Because when you're first teaching yourself to code, you're not gonna understand 99% of what's going on. And the secret to learn to code is actually have to realize that that's okay. You're gonna try stuff, you're gonna try stuff, you're gonna try stuff, and it's just gonna break again and again and again. Harsh, I'm sure you've actually seen this yourself with your son, Sam, right? I mean, this is the exact same way he taught himself how to code. But outside of that, I think I as a student always had trouble fitting into school. I was always super interested in, in topics like history and writing and math, but so often I, I felt stuck because it felt like the only purpose of class was to take the test on Friday at the end of the week. And for me as a student, that would just be incredibly frustrating. And, and even when I was in seventh or eighth grade, I would find myself Thursday nights reading like Wikipedia page after Wikipedia page and whatever studying in history and realizing that despite spending hours trying to learn about the topic, I actually didn't realize I got any of the content needed to pass the test. So I, I think I got a lot of pushback from, from teachers. And, and of course, I think I put my parents in a compromising situation where for me, I think a lot of what, what they saw me doing was staying up all night on my computer. Um, I, I mean, I, like I'd be up late as, as two or three in the morning when the school day started at 7.45 a.m. And for me, it felt like all that time I was, I was spending was valuable because I was teaching myself stuff. But at the same time, I have to recognize that um, to, to put my parents in that situation was obviously a, a very stressful position. And I, I think in many ways, I made them ask questions like, oh my God, uh, did we do something wrong? Um, or is Zach a good fit in school? Or is like, is he going to be okay in, in, in six or seven years from now? And that's part of the reason why I, I'm so glad that, I think in many ways I was lucky, but I was ultimately able to take a very different path than most, uh, leaving high school early and also deciding not to go to college. But even though you said you put them in a compromising situation at times, uh, they continued to support you in this endeavor. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think that I've always had parents who've been incredibly supportive. Um, I, I think in many ways, there, there were key moments where I, I would say the framing of the support changed. 
I, I mean, for me, for, for most of my years learning to code, I think that was a very solitary activity. And I think it was a very solitary activity actually to its detriment. I didn't have friends that shared my interest. Again, I went to public schools that at the time didn't offer, like 90% of schools in the US didn't offer any coding classes. So I didn't know anybody else that shared my interest. My parents aren't super technical and, and had no idea what I was doing on the computer. So this was a very isolating experience. And I think actually it, I was worse off for, and that's part of the reason why I ultimately decided to start Hack Club. Um, but fortunately, after I think I, I started to enter in coding competitions and, and eventually start to win some of them, uh, my parents started to see that, wow, like coding is this big thing. It, like maybe Zach's actually learning something valuable. And fortunately, they were very supportive of me uh, throughout all the years, you know. What was the reason for dropping out of school? Well, frankly, I, I just think I, I wasn't a very good student. Um, and, and I think a lot of it was just my, my mental health. I, I think I just really struggled to, to fit into school. I, I just found the confines of a school day very uh, difficult to, to operate in. Uh, it felt like the one place uh, where I had to spend all of my time, which was a high school campus, was also the one place where I couldn't do the one thing that I wanted to spend all my time on, which was coding. Um, so, so ultimately, I, I dropped out, I, I don't think because I was too smart for school, but because, I mean, I, I think I missed something like 40 or 50 days of school my freshman year. Fortunately, I was able to land on my feet because at the same time, uh, while I was leave, leaving high school, I'd also helped launch an app that became the number one game on the App Store and had over a million people download it. Um, so, so fortunately, and I think very uh, luckily, I, I had other things that were doing uh, quite well that, that were happening outside of the school day. Right. Can you give some specific examples about why high school was detested by you? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think it was anything in particular that, that the school administrators did wrong or, or specific teachers did wrong. Um, I, I think for me, I, I was a very idealistic learner. And, and for me, what that meant was if I was going to learn to code, I mean, you couldn't pull myself away from a computer. I was going to spend 12 hours a day every single day teaching myself. If I got interested in history, you, you couldn't pull me away from Wikipedia. I'd, I'd be reading article after article after article for five hours a day. Um, and I, I think I found the idea of you have to learn six subjects simultaneously broken up into one hour chunks throughout the day with five, five hours of homework at the end of it. it. It just felt like that wasn't the way that learning was supposed to happen. And at the end of the day, doing it all for tests, it, it just felt like I was a product in some sort of huge system that wasn't built for me, but was built really for universities and homeowners and everyone but the students. And I think in so many ways, that's the problem of public schools in America, but also more broadly. Um, it's not because school administrators are bad people. Um, it's not because teachers are bad people. I, I think actually parents, teachers, PTAs, um, principals, superintendents, I mean, all these people have great intentions and so many of them do like work hard, work so hard every single day to do their jobs. But I think the problem is when you look at each person as part of the system, when you look at the parents, when you look at the teachers, when you look at the school administrators, when you look at the superintendents, when you look at the person writing the curriculum on the state level, when you look at the person that sets the standards, and you really look at them closely and ask, who is this person building for? Really, like, like who is the superintendent running the school for? Um, who is the person that if they fail to satisfy will cause them to lose their job? I think the problem is that it's actually never the students. I think in so many ways, that's the challenge that we, that we run into with public schools. I think when capitalism works well and when someone's running a great company, the company builds a product which they sell to users. And if users like the product, they buy it. And then the company has more money to make a better product, which then more people buy, which then they get more money to make a better product. And then when you have nonprofits, there's another thing, which is that now there's a funder. The funder gives money to the nonprofit, which creates a program to deliver to program recipients, which then give impact data back to the nonprofit which is then delivered in, in like impact reports 
to the funder is just adding that one extra node to the feedback loop, uh, I, I think creates millions and millions and millions of inefficient nonprofits. And the challenge with schools is it's not like there's three people involved. There's like 100,000 people involved. Um, there was a survey done in, in America where they surveyed, I, I think it was they surveyed 10,000 school boards across the country and they asked, what is the purpose of school? Like, what's the purpose of public school in this country? And, and the funny thing is they got 10,000 different responses. Um, the reality is nobody can really say what the purpose of school is for. Is it to help prepare people for jobs? Is it to increase homeowner values for people that own land nearby the houses, nearby the schools? Is it to, uh, is it to solve equity? Uh, public schools in America were originally created as part of the reconstruction efforts after slavery was ended. Um, I, I, th I think part of the challenge is that when you look at schools, there's so many people involved and they're all building for all these different people, but the students are just aren't a part of that feedback loop. And you can run a great school that gets a lot of funding that has great test results, but is actually doing serious disservices to the students. And I think that's a big problem with education in this country. You were 15 and then you moved straight away to Silicon Valley. Yeah, so I, I, I first tried to homeschool myself for five months. Okay. Um, I'm a very disciplined homeschooler, but then I, I moved out of my parents' home when I was 16. Uh, I, I moved up to San Francisco. Uh, I, I became financially independent. Um, I had no idea how I was gonna make rent the first day I showed up in San Francisco. I was planning on doing web contracting or something like that. 24 hours later, after arriving in the city, I was hired as a first employee for a company that was getting started, and I was making more money than both my parents combined. I was a 16-year-old, and it just felt like, oh my God, like this is a crazy situation that I've been put in. And when we launched the app, it, it actually ended up getting becoming the number one app on the entire app store. So, Zach, when you homeschooled yourself for five months, and then you decided that tomorrow I'm going to San Francisco... What was yeah. that moment? What was driving you at that time? Well, I, I think for me, I, I was just so desperate to find my, my group or like find my tribe. For me, coding had always been a very solitary pursuit. I, I think everybody wants to feel like they're part of something larger than themselves. And everybody wants to feel like they, they have people to work with and, and friends that they can lean on and friends that they can rely on. And I so desperately tried to find that on the internet. Uh, I mean, oh my God, when I was 14, I had all these alter egos where I would go online on internet forums. I'd pretend to be someone else who was in their mid-20s so people would take me seriously. But, but eventually, I mean, it, it just gets lonely when you don't know anybody. I mean, I, I'd been coding for, for eight years. Um, I, I didn't know anybody that shared my interest. I, I was desperate for friends. And, I was, and I, eventually the thought was, okay, well, it seems like San Francisco has all the coders in it. So maybe I should go there. And that, frankly, is one of the best decisions I've ever made. Um, within a month, I had more friends than, than, I, than I could, you know, even previously imagine. I still keep in touch with most of these people today. I was living in a group house with 12 roommates, all of whom were coders, all of whom were better coders than me, who took me in as one of their own, despite being like six years younger than all of them. I'm, I'm just so grateful to all the people I met in San Francisco, and I'm so glad that, that I ended up making that decision. And my parents didn't disown me for doing that. <laughs> but... There was no fear. The thing is, I actually don't think it was like a very scary decision. While I was trying to figure out what to do with school, I, I, I had simultaneously enrolled in community college. So while I was in high school, I was also taking community college classes. And what that meant was I'd almost finished my first two years of undergrad by the time I had left high school. So my thinking was like, okay, well, you know, if I, if I move out and this doesn't work out, like I, it was very important for me to be financially independent. Um, but fortunately, I, I come from, from a family with, with some resources, so I always knew I could go back to my parents' home in, in the worst case scenario. Um, 
And, and I also knew that I bought myself four years of time because if I went to San Francisco for two years and, and I wasn't feeling it, I could always transfer back into high school. Um, or if I went to San Francisco for three years, I could always transfer into a university as a second year student or eventually as a third year student. So actually it wasn't until a year ago that I finally, a year, like right now, if I was still in college, I'd be in my senior year right now. Um, so if it wasn't until last year that, that I actually like ran out of that time that I bought myself. So I, I don't think that this was like a crazy decision, like where I, I got in a car and drove to Hollywood and tried to make it as an actor. I mean, I, I had, I had real skills immediately. I was able to make a, make six figures working in Silicon Valley. And if it didn't work out, I had set myself up to make sure I, I had real support structures in place. Vivek, I think soon after that, a few months later, you were awarded the Thiel Fellowship too. Yeah, so I got the Thiel Fellowship about a year after I moved out. And um, I was the youngest person in my class. Uh, there were 20 people selected. And I, th I think for me, the Thiel Fellowship was a little bit of a different experience than most people had. Uh, and the reason why is for most people who get the Thiel Fellowship, uh, it prompts them to drop out of college. Um, but for me, I had already left school. And I'd, I was already financially dependent. So my thinking of the Tio Fellowship was great. I just got my salary for two years paid for me. And, um, and hopefully this will maybe help with Hack Club and, and I'll hopefully make some great friends through it. Um, and, and the reality is actually, I was super skeptical of the Tio Fellowship coming into it. Um, the re I, I don't know, it just felt like something where it'd be a bunch of people talking a huge game, but, but very little uh, actual execution. You know, I mean, there's, there's so much, like part of my language, but there's so much BS out there. Um, so I was super skeptical of it coming in. Um, but, but honestly, I was blown away. Uh, it's an amazing program and there are so many amazing people in it. And I, I've made so many friends through it. I'm so grateful to the other fellows and to the other staff uh, that make it happen. But did Thiel Fellowship, the grant which you got from there, did that become the primary force for setting up a Hack Club? So I had already started working on Hack Club. Um, so I started Hack Club in October 2014, which was four months after I, I first moved out. I'd spent the first three months in San Francisco working uh, and saving up all my money. And at that point, I actually saved up in those three months enough money to live for a year. So I started Hack Club with that money. I got the Teal Fellowship six months later. We had already gotten some other funding by the time that we got the Teal Fellowship. So I think the Teal Fellowship was maybe half or slightly under half of our funding at the time. But I, I will definitely say that the Teal Fellowship definitely forever changed the trajectory of Hack Club. It, it was a huge, huge, huge help. Right. And, and why is Hack Club not for profit? What drives that? Yeah, I, I mean, I could, I could sit with you for like five minutes waxing poetic about how nonprofits are for like market failures and, and capitalism is the best answer when, except for places where there are market gaps. But, but I think the reality is that Hack Club is, is built for students, first and foremost. I think something that, that's, that's really different about Hack Club is that we, we don't build for teachers. We don't build for schools. We actually don't work with schools. If schools come to us, we only work with students. If a school comes to us and wants to start Hack Club, we say, sorry, like we only work with students. When I was starting Hack Club, I was reflecting on, on myself when I was a student. And I think I was very idealistic as a student. Um, and, and even though I, I think in practicality, uh, there are few differences between nonprofits and for-profits. I think as a teenager, I just wouldn't have trusted a for-profit just because it, it, would, it would have been named a for-profit. Even though today I disagree with that, I just think I wouldn't have trusted a for-profit. I wouldn't have wanted to work for a for-profit if I was volunteering my time. So I started Hack Club just because I, I, as a nonprofit, because I knew that's what I would have wanted to see when I was a student. And I think that was absolutely the right decision. 
Uh, I am so, so, so glad that we started as a nonprofit organization and we've been able to build up a really amazing base of supporters. Um, I am so grateful to all of our donors. Actually, in fact, uh, the founder of Craigslist just made his first contribution last week, uh, which we're very, very grateful for. Our view on being a nonprofit versus a for-profit is that when we do things that are not monetizable, we're going to do them for free for students. So for example, we will never be able to monetize starting free coding clubs in low-income high schools. It just doesn't make sense to charge for that. But where we are doing things that uh, serve market needs. So for example, we recently started a thing called Hack Club Bank, where it's, it's a fiscal sponsorship program, meaning if you want to start a nonprofit, Hack Club will allow you to use Hack Club as, as its legal entity. So you can operate with us as your umbrella corporation uh, and operate under us under R501c3 status. Um, that's an existing market. People do charge fees for that. And we charge fees for that program. So we charge money for when we're, we're solving market needs. Let me ask you this uh, nonprofit. Was there any contribution from the background work your parents come from or that influence? Yeah, I, I think that that played a huge role in, in wanting to have a philanthropic career and wanting to do good with my life. But I think that you can do good by starting a company too. One thing I'm just so incredibly grateful for is that I think one thing my parents taught me growing up is that you should always give more than you take. And I saw my parents doing this every single day um, when, when I was growing up. And I, I'm so glad that, that I had the upbringing. And I think that's a huge part of how I think about my career and how I think about how I want to spend the rest of my life. But specifically, but I, I think ultimately what that, where that left me was that I want to make sure that whatever I do, I do good with my life. And I don't mean I don't want to do like, I want to have an impactful life in some vague way. I want to like very seriously make really meaningful long-term contributions as, as my life's work. But whether that's done as a for-profit or a non-profit, I think that, that that's like a situation by situation uh, thing to look at. But for my case, I, I mean, I, I want Hack Club to be my life's work. I, I fully intend to, to be working on Hack Club and leading Hack Club in 50 years from now. What is the vision with Hack Club? Well, for me, um, so first I can explain a little bit more about Hack Club and I, I can talk about the big picture. So for Hack Club, as I mentioned, it's a nonprofit network of student-led hacker clubs. Uh, but really, it's a lot more than that. And if, if you want to think about the program, there are really three key branches of it. The first is we help students start after-school high school hacker clubs at their schools. They're student-led. Two to three students lead them. 20 to 25 people come every week. They meet for two hours after school. Um, the students that start it know how to code. The students who join it are new. And first, students learn how to code in the meetings. But over the course of the year, um, it's kind of like a mini hackathon that meets every single week at the school. There's about 400 schools that have hack clubs implemented in them. Uh, that's in 2% of high schools across America. So one in 50 U.S. American high schools now has a hack club at it, and that number is growing. And internationally, hack clubs now in 22 countries. Uh, there's over 100 hack clubs in India. Uh, it's starting to grow a lot in Africa. We just got our first hack club started in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, which I'm really excited about. We're actually getting them laptops right now. It's remarkable what they're doing there. Um, so, so that's the first pillar. Um, and the second pillar of hack club is that all of the clubs are networked. So if you're starting a hack club at your high school, you're talking to other people who run hack clubs at their high schools who are maybe from your same region, but also are from other parts of the world or other parts of the country. Um, so for example, with your son, I mean, he met a ton of people through the Hack Club network, um, all networked through an online community that we run through Slack. 
In total, there's 7,000 students on the Hack Club Slack. They send millions of messages every single year. It's super, super, super active. It's probably the most active online place for teenage programmers in the world right now. The third pillar of Hack Club is that if, if you run a Hack Club at your school, just like how if you're on a high school sports team, you compete with other high schools at competitions, and then you compete at other regional competitions and eventually countrywide competitions. In Hack Club, there are hackathons, so in, in Hack Club, there are 122 student-led regional hackathons in almost every major population center in the U.S., and we're starting to expand them internationally, too. So that's, those are kind of the three big pick pillars of Hack Club. In total, we have 10,000 students that attend Hack Clubs and are part of Hack Club every year, um, and that number is growing in pretty meaningful ways, too. So big picture, um, the, way, the way I see it is, is I think that cultural institutions today aren't working for young people. I think that when you look at how young people were being raised 50 or 70 years ago, there were institutions like the Girl and Boy Scouts that played a huge role in shaping the identity. I can only really speak to the American experience, but this is true internationally as well, in shaping the identity, the morals, the ideals, and the hopes for, for entire generations. And today, when you look at organizations like the Girl and Boy Scouts, they have historically low attendance. The Boy Scouts actually declared bankruptcy last month here in America. And frankly, it's an old model. It just doesn't make sense to teach life skills through camping anymore. I think maybe camping was the most interesting you could do, thing you could do 100 years ago when the organizations were founded. But the reality is that computers are the new frontier today. So big picture, where, where I want Hack Club to go, where I hope it'll go, and I think where the whole team hopes it will go, is I want to live in a world where Hack Club will be as ubiquitous and as universal and as culturally foundational for today's generation, whether you live in California, whether you live in Chicago, whether you live in India, whether you live in Europe. For today's generation, as a girl and Boy Scouts were for the previous. I want to see Hack Club in every school. I want to see a million hackers in Hack Club every year. I, I, I have no doubt that within the next 10 years, there's going to be a Hack Clubber that starts a billion-dollar company. But I also want to see Hack Clubbers start nonprofits. I want to see them become mayors. I want to see them become governors. And I want to see one become president someday. Wow, that's phenomenal. That's a great vision to have and wish you lots of success with that. Thank you. I, I think our world needs it. And I, I think when you look at COVID, I mean, yes. right now, it, it, it's a perfect example. It's every Western country failed. You can, people are blaming political leaders, but every Western country failed in their response. And I think what we're seeing is the failure of leadership that we've built for our countries over the past 50 years. We should have engineers in office. We should bring the engineering mindset to solving big problems like this. Everybody seems to think that COVID is a political problem. This is an engineering problem and a science problem. And we need that perspective governing the, the world right now. So, Zach, I think uh, it, is, it is absolutely fair to say that whatever you have done with Hack Club, taking it to schools, you are the pioneer in this. Yeah, I, I think that Hack Club is... At this point, probably the largest student hacker organization, definitely for teenagers in the world. There are a few other organizations out there doing great work, um, but uh, at least on the teenage level, I, I believe Hack Club is the largest in the world at this point. Um, but, but that said, I mean, like we're, we're a small operation, right? Like we got seven staff right now. Um, we, we only have 10,000 students. Um, we, we think that in America alone, there's room for 1 million students to be in Hack Club. So we, we have a really long way to go and we're, we're on day one right now. Like you said that, you know, one thing which your parents taught you was to give more than you take and that is kind of a 
ingrained principle in the way in which you operate. When you select people for Hack Club, when you select people for projects, do you look for this element? I, I think that we hope to, um, but I think it's really hard to tell. Um, because the thing is, is anyone can tell you any story you want to hear. Uh, and, and particularly as Hack Club gets larger, more and more people are going to see Hack Club as a way to do, like, uh, as to get things like the perfect college resume. Um, and, and I think it's really hard to, to tell someone's intentions when talking to them. It's really, about, it's really actions that speak louder than words. Uh, and I, I think that's really true. Um, so our, our view on Hack Club is, is that there's really two models in education. Um, there are education models that have a high floor where everybody learns how to read and write and a low ceiling where it's very difficult for people to excel. This is like public schools. Uh, everyone learns to read and write, uh, but there are very few outliers. Um, right. And there are long tail models where there's a very long tail, but the top 1% experience is just unbelievably amazing. And, and, we, want, and we think Hack Club is, is the latter model. So our, our vision for Hack Club is like, this shouldn't be some exclusive thing. Like anyone who wants to start a Hack Club should be able to. Anyone who wants to join should be able to. But the thing is, we don't expect all the clubs to stick around. We don't expect everyone who joins to stick around. What we want to do is we want to create opportunities for people to get more and more and more involved and more invested, where the people who are the most invested are having that top 1% experience and, and having a phenomenal, phenomenal experience. And, and I think embodying uh, what we call the values of a model Hack Clubber. And we think model hack clubbers are kind. We think they're gregarious. We think they're technical. We think they don't only think big. Uh, I, I think they're very, there's very little room in the world for teenagers to think big, but they actually execute big too. Um, hack clubbers have raised tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars. It's, it's remarkable what some students have done. Um, I, I think hack clubbers have a strong sense of duty. I think hack clubbers care a lot about the people around them. Hack clubbers improve their community. And, and hack clubbers, most importantly, give more than they take. Um, and, and I think that through this long tail model for the people that get engaged, we want those to be model hack clubbers. And we hope that through all the different programs and different things that we do, that that forms those people and reinforces those values and helps the, those who have those values go far with them. Those are some solid value, Zach. Zach, did situations come in this journey last five or six years um, where you thought you are at a very deep low, it's kind of finished? It's difficult to bounce back, but yeah. you came back. Oh my God. Um, so many examples. Um, December, 2017, we had $6,000 in the bank account. That was a horrible, horrible, horrible month. Um, and in, in a very deep and a very visceral way, I learned that if you're going to be a nonprofit, you have to fundraise. You can't just run good programs and expect people to give you money. Uh, fundraising is own skill and you have to do it. And now at this point, Hack Club has a million in assets and we're growing, which I'm very proud of. And that, that's, uh, that's a solid number too. So I, I think that's one example. But honestly, it's like every year I feel like we face a giant crisis, or at least I myself face a giant crisis. Right now, I'm trying to figure out how to be a good manager to a growing team. Oh my God, this is so much harder than I thought it was going to be. It's it, like I'm constantly humbled by, by working on a Hack Club. I'm constantly growing as a person. And I'm constantly finding opportunities where I need to be way better and Hack Club needs to be way better. Um, but I, I think something that I'm really glad about is that early on, I told myself that I want this to be my life's work. So I, I'm not going to throw the talent in anytime soon. Uh, and I, I'm never going to quit. Yeah, I'm going to push through no matter what happens. What does it take to keep coming back? I, I think for me, like, it's really simple. It's like, this is a thing that obviously needs to exist in the world. 
Um, this is a thing that isn't just important because I think it's important. It's evident every single day for me and increasingly so that our world needs this. Again, COVID is a perfect example. Um, and I think if someone's going to do it, I think it's going to be me. Um, I, I think if you're going to start a, a student-led organization of this kind, you have to have been a student. I don't think I could have started Hack Club today. I started when I was 16. I think I only could have started when I was 16. So um, I'm in. Like I, I, I've, I've done a ton of reflection. I, and, and years ago, I decided I'm in. I don't care how hard it's going to be. I'm going to make it happen. You were in the Forbes 30 under 30 lift at 18 years. Yeah. What, what did that change for you, Vec? Um, well, I think at that point I was already a Teal Fellow and I, I, I'm very grateful to, to be part of the list, but, but also the reality I think is that 600 people are selected for it every year and, and it's difficult for, um, uh, for there to be super deep like vetting of every single person on the list. I, I think that like the, the way people get on the Forbes list is, is through networking their way onto the Forbes list, not through being the best people. So for me, I, I think it helped with some external validation. I think it helped with people who are outside of Silicon Valley. I'm very grateful to be a part of it. But also at that point, I, I think the fellowship had already kind of given me some basic credentialing that was helping open doors for me. That's a lot of humility, sir. What is your shout out for kids and teens with this podcast? What is it that you want to take to them? Oh, you better join Hack Club. Um, and hopefully it'll be good. And if it's not good, you should email me. And my email is zach at hackclub.com and I'll make sure it gets good for you. I, I just feel like we as a society are at this kind of pivotal point. You know, um, there's all these crazy things happening in the world right now. Um, COVID knocked every government off their feet. Nobody was prepared, not a single one. It's crazy. But scientists have been talking about this for years as a potential problem. Um, oh my God, the United States has to face one of the greatest economic transformations that it's ever had to before. And right now, I don't know if we're being successful at it. Um, oh my God, um, India is growing in unbelievably incredible ways. I, I went and visited India for the first time in February. What an incredibly humbling and amazing experience. I am so grateful for the students that hosted us. And I just have to say a full blessing who started Hack Club India and has grown it into a movement. It's just one of the most unbelievably kind and thoughtful people who has ever done, who I've ever had, who I've ever had the chance to work with. I think the world is crazy, is changing in crazy ways. And I think history books are going to be written about this moment. How did the world deal with technology? You know, um, Instagram is no longer new. Facebook is no longer new. Phones have started to reach like strong maturity or people aren't buying new phones every year. Um, it's, it's remarkable. Uh, and and I, I think the question that we have to grapple with is, is okay, great. Like, what are the next 50, what are the next 75, what are the next 100 years going to look like? And I, I think something we need more than ever is great leadership. We, we need people that think like hackers to be running the countries in the world. And we need people who think like hackers to be pushing humanity forward. What is the prerequisite to join Hack Club? I mean, what kind of student cannot join Hack Club? So we want you to be a teenager. Um, but other than that, uh, there's very little. The thing about Hack Club is that we don't push anything on you. We are not a push model. When you, when you sign up for a class, there's expectations for what you have to do. When you join Hack Club, there's no expectations. But Hack Club is a place where you get out of it what you put into it. We have a lot of students who join and never write a single line of code, and that's okay. They don't have a great experience, and, and they don't stick around. But if you join Hack Club and you decide that you want to really like, become a hacker and make this a thing that you're going to do with your life, you got to put in the effort. you got to put in the time. Um, so again, our, our whole approach is we're not high floor, low ceiling. We are long tail. 
with a very high top few percent experience. So what we do is we want anyone who wants to be able to, do, to join, but we want those to stick around, who stick around to have the values and to be putting in the time to become hackers in the way that we think they should become hackers. So there's no requirements outside of you being a teenager and going to hackclub.com. And Zach, what do you want to convey to teachers and parents? Oh my God, I have so much respect for the work that both of you do. Um, it's, I spent a lot of time um, talking to teachers and talking to parents during COVID. Oh my God, it's, it's remarkable. Um, I think that one thing that a lot of uh, parents face is that they're afraid of, of letting their children kind of experiment with their learning. Um, and I think that that caution is actually good to have. You know, I actually really disagree with a lot of the rhetoric about being anti-college. I think college is a great thing for most people who go to it. Um, but the reality is that if you want your kid or you want the kids that you're serving to reach their full potential, um, that breaching their potential might not be within the guidelines that you might have in your mind. And you should be okay with that and help and support them in that process. I, I think Harsh, you've probably seen firsthand with your son. Samarth is amazing. Oh my God. Like he's constantly shipping unbelievable projects. Every time I talk to him, he is so incredibly thoughtful. Like you must be such a proud parent. And I bet you've seen firsthand how important it's been to kind of support him, even when it might seem that he's doing something a little bit different, a little bit weird from the people around him. Yeah, I was talking to an industry colleague of mine uh, before a few days, and uh, he was asking me about the kids, and I said, the, probably the only right thing we did is got out of their way. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I love that, you know. But, but also the reality is, is, in some ways you probably did that, but in a lot of ways I, I think you probably created an environment where, where he felt okay exploring. Uh, he could do things that are a little bit different. And when he did crazy things like email Jeff Bezos, he supported him in that, you know. Like, what have been your most ecstatic moment till now? This past summer was amazing. Um, we, we hosted the first ever Hack Club Leader Conference. Uh, we flew in 75 Hack Club Leaders from around America. We, we I think one come from Canada. Yeah, we had one from Canada. And I think we might have had some from Mexico as well. All in the downtown San Francisco for a three-day weekend. For most students who joined, it was the first time they'd ever flown on their own. Wow, that was one of the most unbelievable weekends of my life. When you walked into the room, we hosted this in this weird basement. Um, that was like a, it was like a three-story basement. That was an open open area. It was a really cool space. Um, the energy was just unbelievable. Talking to talking to all the hack clubbers who were there and hearing about the clubs that they were running and the hackathons that they're running was just unbelievable. And then. After that, we kept 15 of the students in San Francisco for a week to work with us to make Hack Club better. Wow, students are amazing. Yeah, so, so one thing that happened that also blew my mind is we, we've been asking the students in Hack Club to step up and like if they wanna start a program, um, just do it. And, and as a result, we had some students that wanted to start doing Hack Club AMAs where we get prominent technology leaders but also just interesting people around the world uh, to get on a video call with our students and students can ask them any questions they want. And we have this, this one student who's now, who's now a team member. Uh, he's part-time with our team. Uh, his name's Theo. He's 16. He has just gone crazy emailing people. And the speakers he secured so far are unbelievable. We haven't announced it yet, but Elon Musk is the next speaker and Elon's speaking this Friday. It's unbelievable. And the way that he found Elon was he, he knew that Elon had been sued in August so he looked at the court records, found a time when Elon's head of his family office was subpoenaed, found that the name of the person that ran Elon's office in the subpoena records, 
found his email from the subpoena records, cold emailed the head of Elon's family foundation and got Elon confirmed that evening. Theo is like crazy. And, and the thing is, is like teenagers are capable of amazing things. You know, I, I really think that we as a society drastically underestimate what, what young people and specifically teenagers are capable of. I think Theo is a case study of that, but also every single day I'm talking to hot clubbers who are case studies of that as well. Your own son, Samarth, is, is another one as well. It's just unbelievable what teenagers are capable of when you give them permission and give them a space and treat them like people. Vec, didn't Hack Club members earlier this year came together for a hackathon for finding some solutions for COVID-19? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, that, that's, that's another thing that just blew my mind. Um, yeah, I mean, I, anything you want to share from that? Anything exemplary? Anything coming? Yeah. Oh, totally. Yes. So um, we, we partnered with Sam Lesson, who organized this event. Um, he's a former executive of Facebook, and he also pulled in Facebook, Microsoft, uh, TikTok. There are tons of companies involved in this event. And together, we all ran the global COVID-19 uh, hackathon. Um, it is what we believe to be the largest hackathon that has ever happened in the world. Um, there were 19,000 people who participated. It happened over the course of three days. Mark Zuckerberg personally posted about it on his own Facebook, and it got 75,000 likes in his Facebook post. And, we, and so Hack, in that, Hack Club was the official student partner. But what that meant was we invited all of our students to participate alongside all the professional engineers that were participating, but also we built the official website for it too. So actually, there's a Hack Club student named Lachlan. They're currently 18 who built the official website for this event. Um, it's amazing. And, and one project that one Hack Club built, her name is Gina Choi. I, she's 16 or 17 in San Jose, California. Oh my God, it's amazing. It's called Notes for Support. I believe the URL is notesforsupport.org. Um, I was one of the judges for the event, and I don't know if I should say this, but it, I think this is actually my favorite project from all the ones I judged. And, I'm, and not just because I'm biased because it's a Hack Club project, um, but check this out. I'm going to send you the link. So what notes for support is you can fill out a form on her website, uh, where you can write a note to a frontline hospital worker or to someone who is currently a COVID-19 patient. And then she will print out the note and deliver it to a hospital of your choosing. Um, so she first launched this on the internet. There've been 1,800 notes that have been delivered so far. She's partnered with like nine separate hospitals, some in the Bay Area, but also some in New York City that were on the front lines of the crisis. She's partnered with multiple elementary schools where they're having their third, fourth, and fifth grade classrooms fill out notes for the frontline healthcare workers. And she's running a GoFundMe right now, which I'd highly encourage everybody listening to this and yourself to at least get $5 to. It's linked from the website so she can afford the printing costs for this. But I mean, I, I think Gina's 16. It's like, this is amazing. You know, it's just, again, another example of teenagers are so right. un unbelievably drastically underestimated in society. Um, yeah, Gina is amazing. Um, I, I'm blown away by this project. What, what can we do, Zach, to, to change the faster than we think we could, this undermining of teenagers? Oh, I, I just think that parents and teachers and everybody that's supporting and building the institutions that, that teenagers exist with, they need to give them permission. You know, um, I, I think one thing we see again and again in Hack Club is, is so often the best thing we do is get out of the way where we don't really do anything, uh, but rather we create space where it's just normal for teenagers to do incredible things. Like Megan and Mingji two years ago raised $30,000 as 16 year olds to run the, like, the largest hackathon for high school students that's ever happened in Chicago. It's amazing. They personally got the chief digital officer at McDonald's to write them a check. 
just every day, uh, I'm blown away by what teenagers are capable of when they're given permission. And I, I think that if we all just take a step back and say, like, look, go actually do things, uh, we'll probably see a lot of teenagers do do more incredible stuff. Also, they should all join Hack Club. Zach, what books have you been deeply influenced by? Would you like to share something which which could be helpful to others too? Yeah, sure. Um, so right now I'm, I'm reading the foundation series. Um, I, I read this when I was a teenager, but I'm, I'm reading, I read the first book when I was a teenager. I'm reading it again right now. Um, oh my God. It's kind of, it's kind of addicting. Um, it, it's a fiction series. It's science fiction. <clears throat> it's written by one of the kind of uh, early science fiction authors, Isaac Asimov, uh, and explores the question of, Hey, if you wanted to make a giant plan and set it in motion over the course of 2000 years, um, so like after you die, you still want your plans to be carried out. How would you do that? Would you make a government? Would you make a religion? Would you do something else? Really interesting question. And it's, it's kind of explored over the course of the series. Um, so I'm having a ton of fun reading that. Um, I think probably my favorite book of all time or one of my favorite books of all time is, is Diamond Age by Neil Stevenson. Um, I, it's, it's an incredible book, but it's also fiction. I really like fiction because I think fiction gives you permission to explore ideas that you normally never ex- explore or experience in the real world. It explores a somewhat futuristic kind of Chinese provinces where there's a second boxer rebellion happening. And there's a girl within that that receives a magical children's book. It's not actually magical. It's, it's an engineered machine, but it's a computer that generates programmatically using AI the perfect stories to help her become a hacker over the course of the book. So what I mean by that, if she doesn't know how to read, it'll read out loud to her and teach her to read. When she's reading, it'll give her narratives that form and cement this like hacker mindset. Um, And what's interesting is the same book is given to three different girls. For two, it doesn't work. For one, it works. And the question is, why did it work for her? it's fiction. It's really well written. It's, it's actually been formative for a lot of people. Um, the, the first prototype of the Amazon Kindle uh, was actually named, the code name for it was a young lady's primer, uh, which is the name of the book. So the, the full name of the book is uh, Diamond Age or Young Lady's Illustrated Primer. Um, it's an amazing book. I highly recommend it. Um, another book that I've been skimming recently is Seeing Like a State. Um, I, I really like this. Um, it's It explores the question of why do governments sometimes make bad planning decisions? Uh, and how do, you, how do you deal with the difference between top-down decision-making versus top-bottom-up decision-making, which I think is very relevant for education. Um, so that's been interesting. Um, I recently read Tightrope by Nick Kristoff and his wife. Um, oh my God, amazing book about America. It's, like a, it's probably like a smarter version of Hillbilly's Elegy. Um, yeah, I think those are the, the immediate ones that are on my mind right now. And uh, whom do you look up to, Vec? Oh, my God. Like, anyone that builds big things in the real world, um, I, I, I just have unbelievable respect for. Who are the top names, um, top names on your list? Oh, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't really look up to idols in that way. For, for me, I, I'm more interested in the question of, like, when, when people do great things, how do those great things happen? You know, um, I think Elon is just incredible. Oh, my God. Like everything that, that he has done, I mean, he has almost single-handedly brought humanity back to space. Holy crap, that's just unbelievable. Um, I have so much respect for people doing open source software. Um, wow, um, Michael Nielsen is an amazing, amazing scientist. I have so much respect for the writing that he puts out. Uh, Andy Matushak, uh, he formerly, I believe, led the research lab for Khan Academy. 
he is one of the clearest thinkers I think on the internet right now. Oh my God. Uh, Maylee Co is amazing. Uh, I have a ton of respect for Nikki Case. Um, there's, there's just so many people out there. I have a ton of respect for Simone Geertz, who's also another hack club, uh, going to do another hack club AMA soon. Uh, I have a ton of respect for, uh, who's been someone for, who's been my mentor for the past five years, Tom Preston Warner. Uh, he's also on hack clubs board. He founded GitHub. Uh, he's been very involved in hack club from the beginning. Wow. Uh, Tom is like, like somehow not only created GitHub, but when he was CEO of GitHub, continue to create unbelievably important open source software that open source programmers use every day. It's unbelievable. Um, so I, I think the thing is, is there's just so many people that talk about problems. Uh, I respect the people that solve the problems and the people that build things in the world. Well, Zach, I think this has been really a very, very, a truly delightful conversation today with you. And I think it will be very inspiring to a lot of people who are going to hear you. I think it is going to trigger a lot of things for them. So thank you very much for being. I promised you an hour and I think we are just a little under an hour now. Any closing remarks? I didn't really think super deeply about this, but um, I I think that humanity is going to face some of the biggest problems that we've ever had to face over the next hundred years. Climate change, automation, how do we even begin to think about how we transition people? Well, I, I think probably one of the biggest questions in the world that it seems like nobody's talking about right now is, is I think that labor used to be a prerequisite for capital. If you wanted to make a bunch of money, labor was a prerequisite and you had to hire a ton of people to do whatever for you. And I think the thing that has really happened over the past 20 years is that labor has been gradually decoupled from capital. And today, the way to make a billion dollars is not through hiring tens of thousands of people. And that is only going to be increasingly the case. And I think nobody is having that conversation. Like, what does that mean? Like, what does a good world that we're happy with look like where labor is decoupled from capital? That's one of the most important questions right now that nobody's asking. Um, and, and I think that we need smart, thoughtful, um, kind, unconventional problem solvers that not only think big, but actually execute big too to solve these problems that we're facing. So, um, I hope Hack Club can play a big role in making that. If, if anybody listening to this has ideas or is working on something like this or, or knows of stuff that I should know about or, or just wants to have a conversation, please reach out to me. My email is Zach at hackclub.com. I'm also on the Hack Club Slack. If you go to hackclub.com, you can get an invite to it. I'm just at CRL on the Slack. Um, I think we have huge problems ahead of us, but if there's one thing that humanity has shown time and time again is that we are great at solving problems. We just need to have the intention and the thoughtfulness and the motivation to do it. Fantastic, Zach. Thank you so, so much for being with us today. Awesome. Thank you so much. One more time. Have a completely value-added quarantine as long as you need to have it. Be safe. Take care of yourself and all your team members. And give a big bow to your parents from my side when you talk to them. Oh, I I will absolutely do that. Um, And and thank you so much for your kind words and having me on. Um, Yeah, I'm just so grateful for, for the opportunity to chat with you today. Thank you so much, Zach. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye.